Welcome Hills family. And all of you that are now a part of the online Hills family around the world. You know, this has been such a strange season. And I appreciated something a friend sent me this past week that I think sums it up well. Uh, a slide that said, the most useless purchase of 2019, a 2020 planner. Now, how true is that? Because everything we had planned for 2020 has kind of been taken off the table. And we're in such a season of uncertainty. And it's a challenge if you're leading a business, if you're leading your family. And let me tell you, it's a challenge if you're leading a church. So let me just jump right in. Now, Wherever you are in the world, COVID-19 is affecting your reality, and different parts of the world are responding in different ways. Here in Texas, our governor said last week that certain businesses and houses of worship can start to reopen with some very stringent restrictions in place. As you've already heard, after much prayer, we've determined here at the Hills that we are not going to meet for worship on any of our campuses at least through the month of May. And let me just be very clear about something. While we respect what our governor is trying to do, his challenge is immense. Ultimately, we don't make decisions based on what government says we can or cannot do. We make our decisions based on the great commandment. How can we best love God and best love our neighbor? The Apostle Paul said that all things are permissible. But not all things are beneficial. In other words, just because you have the right to do something doesn't mean it's right to do it in that moment. At this time, we don't think we can best love our neighbor by trying to gather. The restrictions in place do not make it a welcoming environment. Uh, and we think the safety of the people we want to come to our campuses is priority one. And so we're going to wait for a season and continue to monitor how the uh, flattening of the curve develops. Trust me, we want to meet as soon as we can, even though we know when we do gather, it's going to feel different for a season. Also, I want to say this. We don't feel pressure to do what anyone else around us might be doing because the mission of the Hills Church is thriving. We exist to make and grow followers of Jesus. And we're doing that right now. Even though we can't gather at our campuses, we are sharing our faith. We're giving our tithes and offerings. We're serving others. People have come to Christ every week during this pandemic. Seven were baptized last week. Several more are getting baptized this coming week. In fact, I want to say very clearly, we want to help you get closer to Jesus. All you need to do is text the word surrender. To the number that is on the screen right now, we will call you within 24 hours and talk to you about what it means to surrender your life and come under the wonderful lordship of Jesus Christ. That mission is never closed. So continue to pray for us. We will keep talking. We'll keep communicating. We'll try to be as clear as we can be, even though we know communication is difficult. Have you ever had someone tell you something and it was true, but it didn't help that much? Like the two guys that are up in a balloon and they get lost and they see a man below and they said, hey, where are we? He said, you're up in a balloon. They said, you must be an engineer. He said, how did you know? And they said, because what you told us was absolutely true and absolutely useless. 
Okay, now, all you engineers, that's a joke. Don't send me an email. I'm a bigger nerd than anyone else in the church. And besides, if you sent me an email, I wouldn't be able to understand it. Okay, I did it again, didn't I? Here's my point. Some people might be thinking right now, you're doing a series on heaven. Yes, I am, called Home is Coming. But we're in the pandemic. We need some practical advice and help right now. Uh, you know, I remember when I was in school, I heard this phrase, some people are so heavenly-minded, they're of no earthly good. And I've heard that so many times, it's almost like it's in the Bible when it isn't. Uh, Dwight L. Moody, the great evangelist, was walking to speak one night with a companion who asked, what are you going to preach on? And Moody said, I'm going to talk about heaven. And the guy scowled, and Moody said, what's the matter? He said, well, I was hoping tonight you were going to preach on something that would be practical. And I think a lot of people feel that way. That heaven is nice, but it's pie in the sky by and by. How does that help me right now? Well, I would tell you that the earliest Christians would have never understood heaven as just pie in the sky by and by. In fact, they would wonder if your view of heaven was very biblical, if it wasn't exceedingly practical. You see, the New Testament's consistent witness is that what's coming should affect what's happening. In other words, how we will live with God then should impact how we are living for God now. I think the first Christians would have wondered, how could anybody be too heavenly minded? Uh, let's go back to some scriptures we looked at last week. In Colossians 3, Paul says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Now, that is a command, that we're to be heavenly minded. But here's what I want you to notice. Right after, then Paul says, So, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. So right after he says, think about heaven, he says, put to death that that is earthly. Put to death that which is worldly. That's verse 5. Now look at verse 10. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like him. Put on clothes that are consistent with your new address as citizens of a kingdom of heaven. Verse 17. Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. So when you think about heaven, it affects everything now. Everything you think, everything you say, everything you do is affected by your new reality. And so here's what I would argue, and that is that when you look at the subject of heaven in the New Testament, you're going to find it is always followed by a section on ethic, that what you think about then has a huge impact now. Or to put it another way, our future home is a present help. Here's what I want you to see, that the gospel doesn't just save us from death, the gospel saves us for life. You see, a biblical view of heaven has tremendously practical implications that our outlook about then has outcomes now. You've heard the phrase, heaven help us. Well, it does. Heaven does help us. And let me show you three ways. First, heaven helps us line 
up. Now, have you ever had your car get out of alignment? My very first car, I drove it many miles and it started wobbling. I asked my dad, what's up? He said, have you ever rotated your tires? I didn't know you were supposed to do that. My car needed alignment. Well, listen, putting a lot of miles on this world's road can get us off track. And this is where heaven helps us. When we're heavenly minded, it keeps us out of the ditch because it changes how we look at everything. Uh, let me explain. Uh, Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 17, he says, Honor God while you live as strangers here on earth. Uh, we have this language throughout the New Testament. We're strangers, we're aliens, we're exiles. Now, if you are a stranger, that means you're going to have a lot of views that seem strange. You're going to have views that don't line up with the roads of the world. Let me give you some examples. If you are a pilgrim, an alien, you're going to have some strange views about money. Now, most people think money is what life is all about. It gives you a sense of worth. It gives you a sense of status. Jesus said your priority should be getting rich in the next life. Now, Jesus said you should be able to, to distinguish between what's disposable and what's durable, what's a trinket and what's true treasure, what's external and what's eternal. If you're a kingdom of heaven, you've got some strange views about money. It is a tool. It is not the purpose of life. You're going to have some strange views about people. Now, the world loves to categorize and label people. But if you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, as Paul says, you no longer look at anyone through a worldly point of view. That you understand now people are the most important things you could possibly invest in. Because they're the only things that are going to last forever. And so consequently, your thoughts of heaven don't cause you to want to check out. They cause you to want to engage. Nowhere in the New Testament does anyone say, Lord, just beam me up and get me out of the world. No, we engage the world. I, I think it's nonsense so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. In my experience, it's the people that live for the next world that did the most good in this world. They're the people that championed the cause of the sex traffic who built the orphanages, who started the hospitals and the schools, who spoke out against racism and sexism, that it's the people that are living for the home that's coming that are making the biggest difference right now in the world that is. See, if you really do keep your thoughts focused on heaven, it changes how you look at everything. It changes how you look at your identity. You don't find it in the applause of people, but in the well done of God. It changes how you look at happiness. You don't settle for quick fixes, but you're looking for that eternal kind of joy that comes from the Spirit of God. It changes how you measure what's truly significant. And there's one thing especially I want to focus on for a moment. And that is when you're heavenly minded, you're going to have strange views about morality now let me tell you the church has an enemy uh, jesus called him the satan and his greatest threat has always been accommodation not persecution people get confused throughout history when satan persecutes the church the church gets lean and the church gets strong and he learned long ago the greatest way to take down the church is to get the church to accommodate to get the church to so water down her doctrine and her morals that she looks no different than the world, that she has no counter-cultural witness. 
It takes great intentionality to make sure that your values stay lined up with the kingdom of heaven. So back to Colossians 3, Paul said, I want you, because you're heavenly minded, to get rid of sexual immorality and greed. And look at what he says next. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. We live by the ethic of the kingdom of heaven. That's where our true citizenship is. But we live here and we all know it is a constant struggle. It is exhausting to keep our values lined up with heaven when they seem so different from the values around us. And heaven gives us moral stamina. Being heavenly minded helps us see accommodation for what it truly is, a completely losing strategy. Let me illustrate this way. Now, it would be cool to be a pro basketball player, right? To get paid money to play ball. Well, these guys do. This team is the Washington Generals. And let me tell you something. There's some good ball players. These guys can hoop, okay? You recognize who they are. They are the team that goes around the world and plays games against the Harlem Globetrotters. Now, according to their website, they've won three times. The last time was in 1971. They have lost over 16,000 times. Now, what kind of fool would take all of his worth and bet it on them to win? But you're a bigger fool if you're spending all your life and your worth and your affection and your energy trying to find your ultimate satisfaction in this world and not in the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Heaven helps us line up our values. We don't want to miss home for anything in the world. Something else heaven helps us do. Heaven helps us chill out. People that walk in the light know how to lighten up. Heaven helps us recognize the trivial stuff in life for what it really is. And heaven helps us realize that most of life is pretty trivial stuff. Now, I have probably been in Dallas-Fort Worth Airport 500 times, and I couldn't tell you how it's decorated. I don't pay any attention to the furniture or to the wall hangings. I don't know what the color of the carpet or the tile is. I don't care because that's not my home. That's just a place I'm passing through so that I can get home. I don't waste energy trying to care about what is not going to last. Heaven helps me chill out. Now, I was reminded of this. Uh, last week I was in line at Chick-fil-A. And by the way, I don't know who manages the drive-thru of the Chick-fil-A's, but I wish they ran the government. They are amazing. I ordered my chicken sandwich. I was told to get in line behind the car in front of me, and as I was about to, a lady in a car beside me rushed up and got in front of me. Now, only living by my flesh, I would have gotten upset, but I didn't. I stayed chill. You know why? Because I had just written a line in my sermon. You know what that line was? Here it is. 
How many of the things that have been upsetting you lately could pass the eternity test? Is it going to matter in eternity that a lady got in front of me for my chicken sandwich? How many of the things that have been upsetting you lately are going to matter in 10 years? How many things are going to matter in 10 hours? Let's be honest. How many things ticked you off today that didn't matter 10 minutes later? Heaven helps us chill. Theologians call a view of the end times eschatology. The eschatological viewpoint is looking at the future through the are looking at now through the lens of the future. Now, I have a professor friend who teaches eschatology at a college. He knows his students have the eschatological viewpoint when they argue about grades. A student will come in and say, hey, you gave me a C on my final. I need a B to pass this course, but you deserve a C. But I really need a B to pass, but you did C work. And this will go on for a while. The professor will finally say, why are we arguing about this? In a hundred years What's it going to matter if you got a B or a C? And he will know the student has learned the eschatological viewpoint when the student replies, you're right. What's it going to matter in 100 years? So give me the B. And that's what happens when you look at now through the lens of then. Paul put it like this. For our present troubles are small. It won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Or, as a hymn writer from my generation put it, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of this earth, they will seem strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Heaven helps me stay lined up and heaven helps me chill out. And maybe most of all, heaven helps us hang on. You see, believing that the next life will be good does not mean pretending that this life is not hard. And I want you to hear me say that. This pandemic has been hard. Right now, some of you are in a really difficult place. And being a faithful Christian doesn't mean putting a, smilly, a silly smile on your face and pretending it's not hard when it's hard. Uh, this man that you're seeing now is Admiral Jim Stockdale. He was held in a North Vietnam prison camp for eight years years he was tortured 20 times and yet in an interview with Jim Collins in his best-selling book good to great he said he was able to survive because he kept a absolute resolute confidence that he would outlast this current trial and come out of it stronger now he was asked by Collins well who were the people that didn't survive and his answer surprised Collins he said it was the optimist he said, I don't get it. What do you mean? He said, well, they're the ones that said, oh, we'll be out by Easter, but they weren't. Well, we'll be out by the 4th of July, but they weren't. We'll be out by Thanksgiving, but they weren't. And by Christmas, their spirits broke and they died. 
Colin said, to survive, you had to face the reality of the current situation. You couldn't be an ostrich and stick your head in the sand, but you had to deal with how hard and how awful it really was. And this has produced what Collins now calls the Stockdale Paradox, that you must retain faith that you will prevail in the end regardless of the difficulty, and at the same time, you must confront the most difficult truth about your current reality. Now, folks, I think that is pure Bible. I think you get that message all through the New Testament, that being a Christian doesn't mean pretending that things right now don't really hurt. The promise of heaven doesn't erase all the pain in this life. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. No, what heaven does is it gives us a certain leverage over the pain of this world so that we can hang in and hang on. I'm always suspicious of this glib version of Christianity that just shouts, Jesus is the answer. Just say, I love Jesus, and nothing is hard anymore. Seriously? Has that been your experience? Because it has not been mine. How is Jesus the answer for the permanently poor? How is Jesus the answer for the perpetually oppressed? How is Jesus the answer for the person who's terminally ill and in great suffering? How is Jesus the answer for the child with a handicap or the parent raising a precious but challenging situation of a special needs child? How's Jesus the answer for the adult dealing with a parent whose memory is going away? How's Jesus the answer? Because those things are real and those things endure, at least for a season. But I would argue that Jesus is the answer. Because His death and His resurrection mean that those trials will pass away. But the triumph He gives will last forever as Paul put it in Romans 8 yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later we're pilgrims and pilgrims have a hard life it's a long obedience in the same direction and all of us walk home with a limp but heaven helps us refuse to quit. Now, I took up running much later in my life, and about eight years ago I ran my first and only marathon, and I told a story then that I'm going to retell. I was a freshman in college, and to graduate your freshman PE class, you had to run one mile and a half. Now, at that time I was not a runner, and I was not looking forward to the challenge. My P.E. class was right after lunch, and I never had lunch before my P.E. class because I did not want to exercise on a full stomach. On the day of the run, it was a very windy day, and we were told the P.E. classes were all being canceled. So I went to lunch. I filled my stomach with greasy food. I went to my P.E. class, and the teacher came out and said, I think the wind has died down. Everyone can go run. Go suit up. So there I am. I'm not a runner. I'm bloated, my stomach is hurting, I'm cramping, it's windy, it's hot. There's a track person in our PE class who laps me, and I'm discouraged, and I want to quit. And then I remembered, I don't have to win this race to pass this class. 
I just have to finish. I don't have to compare myself to how anybody else is running their race. I just have to run my race, do my best, and finish. And that's what I did. In fact, I wound up being second out of my class, and I got the same grade as the track star. And it reminds me of what Paul said toward the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. And I've remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me but for all who eagerly look forward to His appearing. We're all going to get the prize. You don't have to compare your race to anyone else's. You just need to run your best. You need to chase Jesus as hard as you can and don't quit. Because as I said earlier, our future home is a present help. And our present race is a future win. You are going to win. You're going to receive your prize. You're going to get a crown. And thinking of then does me a lot of good right now. There was a very influential pastor in the 17th century in England named Richard Baxter. And in the closing days of his life, a friend came to his bedside and said, Richard, how are you doing? And I love his answer. He said, friend, I am almost well. Yeah, heaven helps us. And so, my word to you, stay aligned, remain calm, and most of all, don't quit. Because, friend, we are almost home. And I think the words you're about to hear will bless you greatly. Are you disappointed? Are you desperate for help? You know what it's like to be tired and only a shell of yourself. When you start to believe, you don't have what it takes. Cause it's all you can do just to move, much less finish the race.
brought heaven to us but make no mistake there's still more to come when our flesh and our bone are no longer between where we are right now and where we're meant to be church, we're almost home. And that's great news. But maybe some of you are just now realizing that God does have a home for you. And if you'd like to learn more about putting your faith in Jesus, or you're ready to follow him today, would you just do me a favor and text the word surrender to the number that's on the screen? And we would love to follow up with you and talk to you more about taking a next step in your relationship with Jesus.